The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter and Reverend Raymond Anderson. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter, kind of a spiritual journeyman kind of guy and producer media type. I run a website called youthrivehere.com. I'm here with Raymond Anderson, the Senior Minister for the Center for Spiritual Living in Greater Baltimore. Hey, Raymond, how you doing today? I'm doing well, and yourself, sir? I'm doing awesome. I'm doing awesome. I think, uh, I think we've got an interesting show today. We're going to be talking with Kate Chigiti, the author of Infinite Possibility, and she's got some interesting takes on uh, Neville's theories, Neville Goddard. I think he's a little controversial. I don't know that all new thought he's uh, sort of uh, cotton to him and and uh, I would but, agree yes you would agree wouldn't you <laughs> oh most definitely <laughs> but I think it's interesting exploration I think one of the things we want to do here is is do that you know yes. we not may not agree with everything but I think there's validity in in all these different topics so I agree I agree 100 percent all right then are you ready are you ready for my inspirational song for this day? Yes, I am. Go for it. Now, you know, these are songs that motivate us. And, you know, I'm not saying they're all always spiritual, as ACDC from the last episode may have indicated. <laughs> but I think what they do for me is they motivate, and they get me rolling and get me thinking. Um, no matter where the source is, I think there's good stuff. Anyway, I'm rambling on. Um, let me play uh, my selection for today, and then we'll get to yours, Raymond. Yes, sir.
that, of course, is Katrina and the Waves. It's an 80s classic. Come on, how can that not make you happy? <laughs> so, uh, what's the feel to walk on Sunshine, Jim? I feel it every moment of every day. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> Absolutely. Call me when I'm uh, when I'm waking up in the morning, and I'll let you know. <laughs> gotcha. I gotcha. So, so mine may not be as uh, we'll say as uplifting, but it will be unique. You ready? Let me hear. Awesome. Well, who is that? So that's a gentleman by the name of Jacob Collier, Jacob Collier, who uh, does acapella. You know, he's singing all of the parts himself. It's a sextuplet group. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, it's just this guy, uh, you know, vocalizing his own stuff. And today I was thinking, so do we go with the Gene Wilder version? Do we go with the Josh Groban version? No, let's go with a little bit of an upbeat version. So I picked him. That's awesome. And that remind me of the movie that's from. I'm blanking all of a sudden. What? Willy Wonka and the Oh, yes, yes, Willy Wonka, <laughs> of course. Since we're talking about, you know, one of Neville's big things was imagination, I figured, well, Let's start off with some imagination stuff. Well, that makes sense. And, you know, that's a very interesting film, isn't it? It definitely, it's imaginative. It's a little disturbing at times. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, a whole, uh, that's a whole show right there, just talking about the metaphysics of Willy Wonka. <laughs> oh, yes, that's definitely a whole show. Yeah. Um, what, what, what is the gentleman's name again? Jacob Collier. Is his uh, work available online, uh, you know, like uh, Apple or anything, or...? That I don't know. I know he's on YouTube. Okay, so definitely check him out on YouTube. Yes. Of course, you can find Katrina and the Waves online at uh, Apple Music and all that stuff. Um, well, you know, I think that uh, inspiration is where you get it from. And imagination, I really don't know whether mine, mine was uh, that imaginative, but I was walking <laughs> on sunshine. Well, come on now. Walking on sunshine, of all the things to walk on, how does one walk on sunshine? Walk on the sun, but you're walking on sunshine. Come on now, that's an expression of imagination right there. That's true. I, you know, I considered uh, John Lennon's Imagine because I think uh, that's such a seminal yes. work. I was a little concerned that we might get into trouble if you seeing a clip from that. <laughs> Understood. But... Uh, but I, you know, that's that's a very deep song, and it's yeah, definitely yeah. imagining a a world in a different way. For sure. Well, let's talk about uh, our uh, dueling inspirations today. Yes, dueling inspirations, and Raymond, my inspiration is better than yours. Yeah, and I'm gonna let you do yours first this week, since last time I stole one of yours. No, that was. I thought that was very synchronistic. <laughs> I thought that was perfect for the episode. <laughs> And then there was the one we thought of what I posted on uh, online, and you're like, that's the one I was looking for. It was. So it's all good, though. It's all good. It's all you good. Go you go first. Okay. 
Imagination is the beginning of the growth of all forms, and faith is the substance out of which they are formed. Take a guess. I'm going to say Myrtle Fillmore. No, Neville Goddard. <laughs> <laughs> little little trick in there. I was messing with you. I knew that. Wink, Imagin wink. Imagination is the beginning of the growth of all forms, and faith is the substance out of which they are formed. I, I think that's very interesting. Yes, I agree. That's deep. And I'm sure we're going to dive into that more. I think so. So you ready for mine? I am ready for yours. Okay, so let's go. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules, and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify. About the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. I think I know where that's from, but tell me. Okay, so it's been used in a commercial for Apple, but from what I found, the originator of it is a gentleman by the name of Rob Siltanen, if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. Interesting. You know, it's one of those things that I've heard attributed to so many different people. Right. It's interesting. I love that. That's that's awesome. Um, I thought um, Gandhi and Mother Teresa said it, but, you know. <laughs> no comment. No comment. <laughs> There's only one mind. True. True. So it's in everybody's mind. Whoever started it, somebody started it. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Willy Wonka and imagination. What okay. What are your thoughts on it? I mean, what uh, what makes you think about imagination in that form? Specifically for Willy Wonka? Yeah. So for me, it's just this idea, like, regardless of where you're looking at it, if you look at him or if you look at Charlie, it's this idea of staying innocent. So Wonka, grown man, has this innocence enough to believe in this chocolate factory. And, you know, he gets to a point where he's ready to give it away. So he creates this, this challenge, this game. But then there's Charlie living in his house with, you know, Grandpa Joe and the other family members. And he's holding on to this golden ticket idea. Like, I can get the golden ticket. I can get the golden ticket as an opportunity to, you know, have a different lifestyle, have a different way of living. So, and everything in there is like lickable wallpaper. That's imagination. Rivers made out of chocolate. Like everything in there is, if you can dream it, which he did, then you can create it. How does that speak to you? I mean, as a, as a person, as a metaphysician, as a you know, teacher? So for me, because I grew up with the original Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka, um, no disrespect to Johnny Depp. I know, but the original is so much, so much uh, deeper and, and disturbing in some ways. Yeah, I, I, but did you see the Johnny Depp version? I did. That's yeah, kind of disturbing. disturbing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but for me as a metaphysician, it's just the idea of what in our world didn't first start with someone imagining it? You know, um, like you and I, we've talked about Star Trek. 
You know, Gene Roddenberry created this thing where the first flip phone was the communicators that Kirk and the Enterprise folks used. So he imagined this, outpictured it on the TV show, and then at some point later, we were using it. So it just makes me get really conscious of what am I imagining? What's going on in my consciousness? Am I imagining a world of peace or am I imagining a world of war? Am I imagining myself as being broke and poor and penniless or am I imagining myself being prosperous and abundant? Because our imagination can run wild with whatever it's tracked on. So it just makes me more conscious to know what am I imagining? Because worry is an imagination. You're worrying about, you're imagining the worst case scenario. So it's like, no, 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 what do I want to focus on? What do I want to imagine? If I can imagine a, well, what if it rains? Then I can imagine, well, what if it rains and the rain is the best thing? Or what if the sun comes out? You know, just what, where is my imagination going? How does that apply to daily life? I mean, when you're, when you're going through an experience, you know, and it, you're, you're up against some circumstances, how do you utilize imagination to transform your thinking? So for me, I always focus on, so uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, so when my brother Leslie made his transition a couple of years ago, there's this idea of, well, he's dead, he's not here. And even though he was one of the people who abused me due to his drug abuse, it's in the midst of grief, I am able to imagine, focus on, the good things of our relationship, which gives me a sense of peace and well-being, which helped me to realize I can feel the grief and still have a sense of joy and happiness at the same time. But if I'm focusing on the loss and only the loss, then the grief can uh, overwhelm me. But if I can focus on basically imagine, I'm imagining, I'm remembering, which is my imagination, imagining the good things, imagining what life is going to be from this point forward as I take into tomorrow the good that my brother gave me. I don't need to focus on the bad. I've forgiven that and I've let that go. So I can imagine now, how am I a better person because of? What kind of person do I want to be because of? What about the world in general? I mean, can we imagine what we what, what we want, or is that fruitless? I mean, obviously, we would love a more. I would say, from my perspective, a more just society. We we want to deal with climate change, which you know we're not we're not currently really dealing with that well. You know, social justice, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. natural disasters. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all these things that are are you know bombarding us right now it feels like politics you right. know how does how do we utilize imagination to serve us when we're dealing with stuff like that well imagination is only the first step i mean for me imagination is you're crafting the blueprint of what it is you want to create if you don't have an have a blueprint you don't have a vision then there's nothing you can build there's nothing you can create so if we want a world that works, if we want world peace, if we want uh, racial equity and justice, and you know, we want to declare the, the good of the LGBTQ community or whatever it is we wanna do, we have to see it in our minds first. We have to feel it in our hearts first. We have to envision it 
which is the imagination. If we're focusing on, like for example, can we imagine what it would be like to be on a planet where every leader of every country, when they come together, they get along? Can we imagine that? Doesn't mean it has to be just that, but can we at least imagine that all the world leaders are working together for the good of the planet? Because if you can imagine it, then you start saying, okay, based upon what I'm seeing, based upon this blueprint, now, how do we create it? How do we create the communication? How do we create the bridges? How do we create the, the relationship? But if we can't even see it, we can't create the blueprint, then it's faith without works is dead. You have to have the faith first. You have to have the vision first. You have to imagine it first. And that's very true right just in our, in our work and in, in every day, because you know, when I work with people to create projects, you know, the first step is imagining. It, it really right. is about creating a vision of Correct. what it is they're looking to do and what, are, what it is we're looking to accomplish. Yep. And everything, I mean, if you really think about it, everything, the clothes that we're wearing, the shirt that you have on, somebody envisioned it or they wouldn't have been able to create it. Like they didn't wake up one day and sneeze and it just flew out of their nose. <laughs> like they had an idea of, I want to create this shirt. I want it to look like this. I want to have this image on it. And then they did what they needed to do to create it. I swear I, I did sneeze one time and it came out of my nose, but that's... <laughs> you, you might want to see a physician about that. <laughs> okay. There are mental health pr practitioners perhaps too. <laughs> Let us pray. Let us pray. Well, that brings up another thing. Um, and I, I guess we'll probably get into this with uh, Catherine. Um, but, you know, is imagination a form of prayer? For me, it is. Like one of the things, every Unity Church that I've ever spoken at, every single one at some point or another has sung our thoughts or prayers. Our thoughts are prayers and we are always praying. Imagination is a form of or a level of thinking. So if our thoughts are prayers and we are always praying, then if we're daydreaming, which is use of imagination, then we're praying that daydream. And if we're daydreaming about the end of the world, then we're putting energy into creation that furthers the, the, the consciousness toward that very thing. So for me, yes, imagination is a form of prayer. So do you believe that there's a, a collective imagination that, you know, we all feed into that, that does create, I mean, we, we, you know, we often talk about the, the one mind, the, the divine, you know, divine mind mm -hmm. that, that we are all are a part of. Mm -hmm. Does, does that factor into it? Did that not did, yes, was that so, not your question? <laughs> was so, that confusing? Okay. No, I got you. I got you. So for me, I always do my best to look at the macrocosm and the microcosm because we're we're uh, individualized forms of the one. So for me, how do I see mass consciousness in a regular everyday state of being? So if we look at things like mob mentality. It's easy for one person to be on the outside of the mob, but soon as the consciousness of the mob sweeps them, they're now in there breaking windows and flipping cars just like everybody else. So there can be this consciousness of lack and scarcity, pain, disease, disorder, et cetera. And we have a choice 
do we raise our consciousness enough so that cannot affect us that way? Or do we just get swept into it? Because right now, if we look at the way gun violence, you know, why is it so difficult for us to say that there, there is no civilian who should have a military grade weapon, especially if they have no military training to use it? Absolutely. I should not be able to go buy a military weapon. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm with so you on that. Like, you mean I? What you agree? You agree that I shouldn't? Or just no? I'm messing with you. But <laughs> like, <laughs> but like, there's this consciousness around. We should have. We have to have. We have to have. Why do we have to have? You know, what if what if we create this thing, this consciousness that says we're all one. And when I mean really created, then there is no one to defend against. And we create, once again, the idea of the, the food replicators and like in Star Trek, because if we got the communicators and we got touch screens, food replicator ain't too far down the road. And, you know, I'm for you there. I'm for you there. So if we create this thing that can create food for us now, is there now a need to hunt? And if further down we create the hollow deck, then you can hunt in the hollow deck and not kill an animal. So even there, you don't need the gun to do that. Yeah, I hear I hear you on that. And you know, I you know, there's theories about about the universe and everything. And I sometimes believe that we do live in the hollow deck, but that's just my opinion. Gotcha. I understand. I understand. <laughs> and if the, and if that is the case then let's find the program to change what's happening in the holodeck so the holodeck is not demonstrating war and disease and all that other stuff. We can change the program then. I love that. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, let's take a moment for Raymond's Corner. So one of my heroes, per se, is Walt Disney. And I remember reading, there was an interview with one of his family members where they asked what would Uncle Walt, what would Walt Disney say about this whole idea of think outside the box? And whoever the relative was said, well, Uncle Walt would say box, what box? So for me, this idea of imagination being God and being, you know, the power of God, the way Charles Fillmore speaks of it, is how do I, and how do we as a community of new thought, how do we stoke the flames of our imagination? How can we be more creative? How can we stand in the flow of, you know, more beauty and more majesty and more, more magnificence just being in life? You know, maybe get a coloring book and just doodle for a while. But how can we engage imagination as a powerful thing? And our guest today is Catherine Jaggetti, author of the book, Infinite Possibility. Hi, Kate. Hi, great to be with you, Tim. Wonderful Maybe. to have you. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Kate is a British television presenter and author with a background in science. She's worked at the World Health Organization, developed educational resources for rural communities in sub-Saharan Africa. Kate's worked with the BBC Science Unit and uh, BBC Radio Oxford and served as news editor of the international journal Africa Health. She's been published internationally in the internationally acclaimed science journal, Nature. She's also presented two science series aimed at young adults for Channel 4 in the UK, earning a BAFTA nomination. I'm tired from just uh, reading all of that, Kate. 
I'm not sure. I'm not Thank sure you you've done enough. <laughs> I've had some pretty cool temp jobs as well. <laughs> I worked for the Saudi family. <laughs> what, really? Yeah. That's fascinating. I, you know, I had the weirdest um, career, you know, and part of my, my temping life, I had jobs like that. So I was their property manager in London, which was a lot of fun. Um, and I'll tell you about it sometime, Jim. Okay, <laughs> there won't be time good. to talk about it now. <laughs> we should we should probably get into the interview here. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, so you're you're a proponent. I don't know proponent, but you're you're a big uh, follower fan. Uh, uh, let's start that over. Okay, Kate. So you're very much into Neville Goddard. Tell me a little bit about Neville. Who who was Neville Goddard? Neville, I suppose, called himself a prophet in, in many ways, and he felt that that's what he was put on the earth to do. Um, the human being, Neville Goddard, was um, a man of Irish, Scottish, and English descent who was born on the island of Barbados in 1905. And as a teenager, he was overtaken by this pioneering spirit that took him to the United States, where he was going to pursue a career in the arts on stage, um, primarily and while he was in the States, he had a variety of experiences, but later on in his 20s, um, came to meet um, an Ethiopian rabbi by the name of Abdullah, who Neville describes as um, a black man who was exceptionally learned, who was able to command an audience wherever he went, even in a time of deep segregation in the United States. And this man, Abdullah, taught him Kabbalah, taught him esoteric mysticism, taught him how to interpret the Bible, um, esoterically and his own ministry Neville's ministry was born out of this experience he said Abdullah was the only man he would consider his teacher and that everything else came directly from source from consciousness from God and so his philosophy was that our human uh, human imagination was not just uh, an aspect of the mind as described by psychologists or neurologists or psychiatrists, it was much more. It was consciousness itself, which, according to Neville, is the substance of existence. And he said that we were born with this uh, aspect of ourselves. It's our consciousness, our spiritual selves, which enabled us to not only navigate the world in a meaningful way, but to fulfill this mandate that we had been given by divine order that we're all playing this part in this great drama of life for a divine purpose that we come to know as we follow on to know as it says in the bible so neville was a person who brought a practical spin to this very um overwhelming in many ways philosophy we'll be right back with big universe on unity online radio You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter and Reverend Raymond Anderson. Okay, welcome back to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter. I'm here with Raymond Anderson. Well, here's a here's an out of left field kind of thing. But is there does Neville view uh, the world as as just existing in imagination, or or is it uh, is there a difference between imagination and objective reality, for instance? 
Um, so he said that objective reality is a part of consciousness. So if you think about the most, as he says, the most infinitesimal small um, atoms of existence, you know, as a scientist can spit the atom into tell you what its constituents part, constituent parts are. Neville is saying that consciousness is the source of those constituent parts. So without source consciousness, nothing exists. And thereby, whatever we perceive to be objective reality, all of that is a part of it. So while we are existing in these human bodies, we then begin to relate to the physical world around us. But we are the ones giving the world shape through observation. We are giving it um, form we're giving it life through the senses that uh, by which we perceive the physical world um, now I know in the book's intro you talk about I, I'm going to quote you here if you believe you need to change the world give that up at once um, what do you mean by that what does that mean so we're not here to to make the world a better place. We're here to make ourselves better. And to do that, we need context, we need framing. So what Neville teaches us is that trauma is not something to be stopped. It's something for us to learn about who we are and what we're capable of by experiencing it. So if you think about um, if I go through life and I clash with every single person I meet, um, then I don't want all the horrible people in the world, as I believe them to be, to disappear because someone else has to come along and learn those lessons. So I then, through that experience, I meet you, I meet someone else, and I'm not having a good time. That experience is supposed to cause me to turn the spotlight in and figure out what's going on with me. Why is it that I am not able to get along with people, for example? Whatever the trauma might be. So he says that this world is a schoolroom and we're here to get an education from it. When we go through challenges, we use our imagination to overcome these challenges. We're actually beginning to understand who we are relative to what God is. And that's why it's important that the world remains as it is. For many people, that's really difficult for them to accept or even understand. But once you start to play with the philosophy and, and to um, experiment with it, if you like, then you begin to understand why things are the way they are. Neville says you're able to forgive people who've offended you or hurt you because you realize that they were just put in place to help you learn something very, very important about who you are and what you believe the world to be. Okay, note to self, not everybody else's fault. I have to, <laughs> when I Absolutely. encounter everybody and they're wrong, it's not, <laughs> it's not their fault. Right, and I'm just um, to interject there, or to add, this, Jim, um, what he's saying is that we're not responsible for people being awful to us. We're not responsible for their behavior. It's what we're saying is true of ourselves and the world that gets reflected back. So our consciousness brings us into contact with certain behaviors. So because I believe I'm a princess, everyone I meet treats me like one. That's pretty much <laughs> my experience day to day. Awesome. So quick question, Kate. <laughs> Um, if I miss, if I understood correctly, I heard you on another interview at one point and you said that Neville did not consider what he was teaching or studying to be new thought. What's the difference as you understand it? I think, um, at the time, I'm certainly when Neville was around, new thought was about acquiring goodies as my good friend, Mitch Horowitz said, it was about teaching people how they can get what they want from the world. He was saying he was teaching them their purpose for being in the world and what their role in the world and as part of the global community actually is. So Neville's philosophy was about learning or rediscovering our God self rather than just going 
going through life having good experiences what he said was, was that those additions were there to cushion the blows because we all go through suffering in life and the ability to acquire things that make your life easier was just god's way of making this journey easier for us so all. can i ask you a challenging question you may if neville was here today do you think he would still see new thought the way he saw it then i believe so yes because he um spoke about traveling in consciousness through all dispensations of time so although he spoke to the audience at the time he said there would be would be people who would speak to uh, the audiences that they were surrounded by in language relevant to them but the fundamentals of the uh, philosophy would remain unchanged thank you now what You're do you welcome. say about like criticism that you know uh, all this is all too much about the self you know and it's not enough about addressing the world, um, and, and I know you've addressed the world in some of your work. What do you say to something like that? I think it's unreasonable for um, people, for me, certainly I've learned this, to expe expect people to understand things the way I understand them until they come to experience what I've experienced. So what I say now is that it's an inevitable ex discovery that's going to happen when people start to play with this philosophy. It has to be about you because when we cease to be, the world continues. So then, you know, then how do we explain um, how, how is it that some people are going to be able to change the world and others not going to be able to change it? There has to be something more to it than that. I'm sorry if that's not too clear an answer, but that's really where I am with this, that the world continues when we stop breathing we might want things to change. We might want um, famine to stop, a war to stop, injustice, whatever it might be. And yet these things continue. For all our efforts, we haven't been able to put a stop to these things. And I think people find it very, very difficult that some of the, the kind of suffering that people go through can be allowed to go through. But Neville's saying that actually it serves a purpose. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, so I definitely want to get into some of the techniques that you suggest um, about uh, using imagination, some of Neville's techniques. We'll do that a little bit later. But I'm curious, how did you get into Neville? How were you introduced to his philosophy? So um, as kids, I, I think I, I've spoken about this before, but um, as children, my mom was very, very keen on us being aware of metaphysics because it was something that she had um, come to as a teenager, she studied yoga and she did um, alternative philosophies. So she was really excited about sharing that with us. So on the bookshelf next to Charlotte's Web was a book by Florence Scovel Shin or uh, Danaikin or something like that. So our, our library as children at home was filled with these books. So the language was very, very normal to us. Um, as a teenager, I was uh, depressed and angst like every other teenager. <laughs> but I began to ask, <laughs> questions and my mother handed me this book five lessons and she said look this is by Neville Goddard just read it and then we'll talk about it That's what, that was my that was my mom's technique she'd hand you a book she'd go away read this and then let's get together and talk about it and I got back to her and I said I hate this guy you know what's he talking about he's really upsetting me she went well give it a try and so I said okay I'm going to prove him wrong I'm going to prove that he's a liar he's saying some really offensive things I don't like it and the more I read, the better I felt. And I was suddenly inspired in ways I had not been before. And so I realized there was something going on there. And my own relationship with, with Neville's work was born. Okay, so that I have a question fun. now. Because you didn't mm -hmm. put it out there now. What did he say that you found as a teenager that you found offensive? He said that... <laughs> 
the Bible was not historical. He said that the Bible was allegorical and that people didn't know how to read the Bible. They didn't know how to interpret it and they didn't understand its purpose. And for me, even though I had problems with the church I had grown up in, I was very much a Christian and was living out my Christianity in the way I understood it to be. So for me, that was really, really harsh. The idea that the central figures of the Bible were psychological allegories of the soul of mind of man and that the bible itself was um, a blueprint and an allegory of the evolution of the soul of man i found that too challenging at the time but i've come to understand what he says about the bible and he was talking about the way it was written who it was written by and things like that so i've come to through my own research reconcile those early conflicts understood so I know that you've been, you, early on, you were, as you were just saying, you were back and forth on the teachings a, a little bit. And I know you were tested by some tragedy and you kind of got away from it. Um, how did, why did you keep coming back to it? What, what pulled you back to, to Neville's teaching? I found I would go through this cycle where I would study, because I study every single day, and I would be reading a particular book. My favorite book is Your Faith is Your Fortune. I'm, I must have read it about 40 or 50 times by now. And um, I would study every day, be journaling and playing with the techniques and I'd be fine. And then I wouldn't do it for three or four days. And I suddenly found myself feeling slightly lost, um, uninspired, all of those kinds of old feelings of, of hopelessness just creeping back in. And then I'd get back into the book and I'd be back up again buoyant again in this positive mood and this would happen over and over again and it it took me longer than it should have taken me to realize that there really was a connection between me being um preoccupied with this source material and having um a positive experience of life and then putting it down and finding things not going the way i wanted it to go and i said to my mom many years ago that i really think that this is the work that i'm supposed to do because I, I can't get away from it. I have to keep coming back to it. It's almost part now. It's embedded in my survival and it's become such a part of my identity that I just don't know how to let it go. So I hear there's a story about a hamster. Yes, I want to hear. That's a great <laughs> part of your book. I, that's sort of how you used uh, imagination in the beginning or early on uh, in your life, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I wanted this hamster. I couldn't get this hamster. So I took a dust cloth and I turned it into a hamster and this plastic. Now you're <laughs> not talking about magic there. That's not, you didn't <laughs> physically turn it in. Cause I'm really interested if you did that. <laughs> well, in my mind, this hamster was very much real. You know, I played with it every day and I really do believe, I mean, obviously it's not possible to remember exactly what I felt and thought at the time. I was only about five or six years old. I was so caught up in the play in experiencing having this pet that I actually forgot that it wasn't real. And so by the time my mom said, okay, come on, get your coat on. We're going to the pet shop. I'm getting you this hamster. I don't know if she just got fed up with me. Um, <laughs> but for me, by the time I got the actual living, breathing hamster that used to bite me and all the rest of it, um, I couldn't tell the difference between the one I was playing with and the one that was physically real and it's a very simple example but I'm, I'm, I use it to say to people this is how we want to start to engage our desires if we want to get to the point of manifestation we really need to persuade ourselves that the thing we are handling mentally experiencing mentally is as physically real as anything that presently exists 
And later on, you in like later on in life, you kind of use this to get do the science show for BBC. Tell me about getting that gig. Right. So when um, I was contacted by the producers and invited to come and audition, um, I was really excited about it. And then I found out that agents had put their presenters forward and that there were loads of professionals going up for it. I thought, okay, there's no way I'm going to be able to compete with people who have these really polished show reels and lots of experience and all of that. So what I did was um, I would, it's not visualize, it was actually performing mentally the action of walking across London Bridge, going to the studio, seeing everybody's faces, just trying to get a sense of myself in that room, in front of the camera, in front of the producers, and feeling it real, even though it was happening in my imagination, and feeling them congratulating me on getting the gig. So um, I, I did that a number of times until I got that excitement inside of me, and I thought, yeah, I've got this. And when I went there and um, I did the audition, which was actually quite funny, um, at the end they were like, wow, you're the person for the job. It was something that I had already done in imagination. So, um, yeah, it, it just became a physical manifestation, if you like, of what I was playing out in my mind. So, nope. quick question. So, in your story just now, you distinguished the difference between visualizing and performing visually. Can mm -hmm. you just clarify for the listeners, like, what's the difference? Yeah, so when you're visualizing, Neville says that that's like watching an actor performing on screen. It's like watching a performance happen when you are, are performing mentally you are the actor in the scene so you're smelling everything you're touching you're hearing you're tasting you're seeing so that's the difference I, I love that he said visualizing is watching the actor on the screen mentally performing is being the actor in the scene so hopefully that's a neat way of uh, them getting now let me ask you this um are you still there Hello? We lost you. Are you still there? I'm here. Okay, we lost you for a second there. I lost you. Um, Do you want me to repeat anything? No, I think we got through the end of the, the, the segment there. So let me, let me just start up again. Okay. So let me ask you this. If, if you use the, this power, and we're going to go into some techniques in, in just a minute, but when you use this power and something doesn't happen, how do you, how do you react to that? So um, I always say, like Neville, that it's not the philosophy that's faulty. It was my approach. So I think what happens, and I, I get this question so many times, I tried this, I tried that, I tried the technique, and it didn't work. I, you know, a lot of people write to me and say that. And I say, metaphysical prayer isn't about trying to make something happen. Metaphysical prayer is consenting to something happening through you understanding that it has already happened, accepting that as true, reaching the point within yourself that you are 100% persuaded that it's true and watching it show up without interfering in that process. So Neville says, we're not to concern ourselves with how it's going to show up. It's going to happen in a normal and natural way. We're talking about things that already exist. So if you think about this job that someone might want, the job exists or the job will be created. It's not for you to try and um, coerce or you know make something happen for yourself it's being persuaded that yes I am in that role and then you will step into it so I think Amen. that's important for people to understand <laughs> <laughs> yes 
So um, give me one of your favorite techniques that, you, that you've developed from Neville or that Neville has given you. Oh my gosh, there's so many. And it's, it's a little uh, difficult because for me at this point, I don't really use any techniques. I'm, I'm here kind of, so at the point of when I want something to happen for me, I get into that feeling. I can just conjure so up an image in my mind. Point. Right, at this point, because I've been doing it for so many years. But I think some of the, I mean, what I've tried to do in, in Infinite Possibility is help people to establish that connection. And what happens is through the practice of the techniques, this connection between your physical aspect and your God self becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. What Neville says is that we're using the techniques to support us while we're learning to trust ourselves. So when I feel that, yeah, I have that, whatever it is, car, job, house, partner, whatever it is we're, we're after at the time, when you can say, yes, I know it with certainty and I have that thing, the thing's going to show up. But the techniques of prayer, I think one of the things that's really um, good is doing it before you sleep. Um, and it's just bringing to mind the thing that you want, because once you close your physical eyes, you're shutting out the objective world, right? And suddenly nothing is there to, t to contradict what it is that you're trying to believe. You're also naturally, if you are able to sleep well, in a relaxed state. And so in that state, you construct this scene that says you are whatever it is you want to be. And then you're just allowing yourself to experience what you're seeing through your subjective senses. So we have a spiritual version of the five senses, smell, taste, touch, sight, and hearing. We have that spiritually, just as we have it in the physical body. And so if you imagine closing your eyes and you're on a beach or whatever, you're going to start feeling the sand between your toes, or you can taste the whatever drink you're drinking, or you can feel the heat of the sun on your skin. And with practice and with time, people are going to be able to feel that in a way that the, what you're experiencing mentally becomes indistinguishable from what you would experience if that thing were physically happening. So it's something that I rec recommend that people do as they're going to sleep, just conjure up that scene, allow us a gentle smile to be on your face and just start to experience it. You have nothing to lose, just experience it just as you drift off, do it night after night. And eventually you will feel you become more com comfortable with the technique and you're learning to trust your intuition more and you'll see the evidences that this thing is on its way or it shows up itself. So having read your book, I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask you, you structured the exercises in a particular order for the purpose of guiding the reader through what exactly? So it's to, it's, it's making the assumption that, that somebody who comes to this book has no idea of what I'm talking about. And it's just reintroducing them to something that already exists within them in a gentle way. So we are already with, familiar with techniques like meditation and a lot of people are already familiar with some form of prayer. And so I start by just getting them to start to call out to this aspect of themselves that maybe they've neglected or aren't aware exists. And when they begin to feel that something is there or they feel inspired to continue, the techniques become increasingly, I wouldn't say challenging, but um, more penetrating, mm -hmm. get a little bit deeper each time. And the idea is that by the time they get to the very end of the book, they've established this connection that I'm talking about, and they're going to take it forward and use it in whichever way they need to. Understood. And if I may, Jim, is it all right if I ask another question? <laughs> no, Raymond, you're not allowed to ask any questions. This is not a show. 
So one of the exercises that I, I think many of the readers may not be familiar with is the idea of being able to change one's past. Can you mm -hmm. explain that exercise a bit? Right, so what that relates to is the idea that anything happening outside of the physical moment, the physical present, is now an aspect of consciousness. We cannot, we can no longer physically experience what's happened in the past, and we aren't yet experiencing what is to come. Because those things exist in consciousness, we can go back in consciousness and mentally persuade ourselves that something else happened in its place. And what that does very often is shift us or brings us into alignment with what our present would be had we experienced something else instead. It's, it's something that really requires the experimenter to take a lot on faith, which is why it comes a little bit further into the book. It's, as Neville says, it's not reasonable to expect people to believe it. All I'm asking people to do is to try it. So the thing I get asked over and over again is, um, how do you get over the death of someone? Well, we're all going to exit at some point. We're not saying that that person is going to be in your life again, but you will be able to emotionally and physically experience life as though they hadn't left you. However that shows up, whatever it looks like, it helps people to free themselves from lockdown. I think grief is one of the most um, traumatic things that anyone can go through, particularly if people lose a child or a spouse or something like that, or their parents. It's, it's almost something that many people can't get over. I'm not saying that your parent, your child, whoever it might be, is going to come back to life. I'm saying that you're going to be able to move past that trauma. And it's important that we're able to continue living because we still have a mandate to fulfill. You know, even though we lose people at, at different times in our life and we suffer in that way, we still have something to do. That's why we're still here. When our time is up, we'll exit as well. Gotcha. So real quick, in two minutes... <laughs> Two minutes. Can you give me the magic mirror technique? Because I think that's one of the earliest ones in your book. Yeah, it's super easy. So obviously we look in the mirror every single day when you go into the bathroom, whether you're doing your hair, makeup, you're shaving, whatever it might be. And people, I think, uh, so, okay, let me just quickly talk you through the technique. We've got two okay. minutes. So you're okay. gonna... you, don't have to, you don't have to talk too, too fast. It's okay. okay. <laughs> so you're looking in the mirror and you may be slightly dissatisfied with what you see reflected back so you're going to close your eyes and imagine that the person reflected back is the person you want to see reflected there and then when you open your eyes you're just telling yourself that you're looking into the eyes of the person you desire to see reflected back so when I had bad skin I had acne at one point in my life to the point where I couldn't leave the house. I, was, I walked around literally with my head like that all the time. I use this technique to clear up my skin. I mean, I'd gone to the doctors and they wanted to put me on medication and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, no, I can't do it. And I just thought, all right, I'm not going to look at the, the bumps on my face or the, the blemishes on my skin. I'm going to look into my eyes and imagine that the person looking back has perfect skin and I have perfect skin now, if I do say so myself, because what happens is every time we look at the blemishes, we have a reaction, a gut reaction. And that gut reaction anchors that problem in place. Our cells respond to the way we feel. Scientists have proven it, the impacts of hormones like cortisol that cause our cells to break down. Every time we go, you know, because there's something we don't want to see there, we're just giving it new life. When we starve it of attention, 
we're able to be restored to, to health, which is our default setting. Amen. And it's not just, <laughs> it's not just physical uh, re reflection in, in the mirror. It's also about your mental, your mental being or your, your spiritual being too. Absolutely. Um, I um, actually helped my brother. He had a very, very difficult time in his job, had terrible anxiety because of a manager. I said, just do this. Look in the mirror. You're looking at someone who is confident, who is aware of the contribution they are making to the company. You're looking at someone who's respected by their colleagues. And he used it to overcome his anxiety. And I was so proud of that because it, it really does work. This isn't about any of us, me, you, anyone, it's about the individual discovering their own power. Thank you, Kate, for being on the show. We're so excited to have you here. I had a great time. Thank you. you. Now, how can people connect <laughs> with you? Can they do it on, do you have a website or a Facebook page? Facebook, Catherine Njigedi author, facebook.com forward slash Catherine Njigedi author. Um, I do answer questions. I'm a little bit behind, but I'm getting through them. So please feel free to comment or ask questions, post, share, whatever you want to do. But that's the best way to reach me at the moment. Wonderful. And Thank thanks, for, thanks for being on the show. We've got uh, uh, make sure you check out our book, Infinite Possibility on Amazon and many other bookstores. Uh, for more about Raymond Anderson, go to RaymondAnderson.com. I've got some upcoming video courses with some amazing uh, instructors. You can try them on YouThriveHere.com. And uh, we'll be with you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network, subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.